I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 20 of Buckethead's Land Grant Holy Land's College Basketball Podcast and the official podcast of your still first place Ohio State Buckeyes, who technically, if Ohio State stays on uh, their COVID pause for the rest of the year, they would win their first Big Ten title in 10 years, which is something to think about. Many people, many, many, many smart people are talking about it. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Justin Golba, who, just like me, got out to the movie theater last week and saw Spider-Way no, Spider-Man No Way Home um, right when it came out. Spider-Way No Home Man. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I Like I said, you know, we, I had to make the sacrifice of watching all the Spider-Mans before I got there to, you know, refresh myself. And if you've ever seen Amazing Spider-Man 2, that's a sacrifice in and of itself. It's just simply not a good movie. But uh, I love No Way Home, big fan. Um, and I'm excited to see what John Watts does with Fantastic Four. Yeah, I watched a few of the old ones last week too, kind of leading up to it. Not all of them, but um, the context definitely helped in some parts of the movie. You didn't need to see the old Spider-Man movies to to, ha- to be able to watch it and enjoy it, but there definitely were a handful of moments and lines that had more significance and were like funnier or more impressive or mean more if you had seen some of the older movies. But we might we might get into that in a little bit here, but it definitely helps if you see the old ones. Yeah, and um, you know, if we go into it, we'll go into spoilers and stuff. You've had a whole week to see it, but you know, uh, for now, let's talk about some Ohio State stuff. Yeah, so not a whole lot of Buckeye stuff to talk about today. We're going to go off off script a little bit. We'll talk about just general Big Ten stuff. Talk about No Way Home for a little bit because this is our show. 
and we make the rules. So if we want to talk about a movie, we're going to talk about a movie. Um, if you haven't seen No Way Home yet, we are going to spoil pretty much all of it. So once we shift from sports over to that movie, just literally just stop listening. Um, so if you've been living under a rock and have not been paying attention, Ohio State is not doing anything related to basketball right now. They are on pause because there are some members of the team who are sick who do have COVID-19. Um, one sick player caused the whole team to have to take the test, um, and now we actually have several sick players. Uh, last time we talked, we previewed Kentucky. That game did not happen. It got canceled. The UT Martin game that was scheduled for Tuesday also did not happen. Um, their game on the 28th against New Orleans is, is still on for now. So we will take you on a kind of a little journey here and a quick general timeline of basically how the past, I guess we're at week and a half, uh, has unfolded. Um, right? Or just five, five or six days? I don't know. Since this happened. On Thursday, Ohio State put out a press release announcing that – last Thursday, I should say. Ohio State put out a press release announcing that there were multiple po- positive COVID cases on the team, and because of that, they were not going to make the trip to Las Vegas to play Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic. Now, we might touch on this a little bit later as well, but also a thing that played a big role in this is if they were to go even just leave the people that had uh, positive COVID cases in Columbus and go to Vegas, and they were to have test positive in Vegas, they would have to stay there for 10 days in Vegas. So that obviously plays a big role as well because, I mean, that takes what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas a little too far. Um, Right. Thursday was the day that allegedly one player was feeling sick. And as you know, if, if look, at, the, at this point in time, if you're feeling even like you got the sniffles, they're going to test everybody you've ever been in contact with for COVID. And it came back positive. So they test the whole team. Another player tested positive. And according to Holtman, one of the players was asymptomatic, assumably the second one. And one of the first two players who tested positive was described as a key starter. Honestly, on this team, that doesn't narrow it down a heck of a lot. But still, um, we don't need to know. You know, that's their privacy issues. No problem. On Sunday, Ohio State tested the whole team again so they could hopefully play Tuesday against UT Martin. If they didn't have any more cases, I think they were going to play. But after testing on Sunday, they canceled the game. They didn't give too much information, but um, on Monday, kind of Holtman got a little more specific with Paul Keels, um, the legend himself, Paul Keels. Uh, Several players and potentially a staff member were sick as well. Excuse me. And feeling mild symptoms. He did not say many players tested positive. Again, not really our business. He also said that the team plans on playing the 28th against New Orleans. And as of right now, that is still still a thing. Um, and if the game against Kentucky was away on Nevada, like we said, I think they would have tried to play it. If that game was just in Columbus, or even if they were just going to Lexington, I think they, they probably would have tried to play it. But because of the, the Las Vegas rules, the Nevada rules, you know, that – is a little too risky to for just a, a college basketball December game. So Holtman also said the healthy players are able to get individual workouts in this week, so that's good. Uh, but the team has now been sent home for Christmas, obviously, you know, spend time with their family. Plan is to get two or three more practices in before Tuesday's game against New Orleans and get back on the court on Tuesday night. Yes, and I, I don't know if the rule that you're talking about, I, I looked it up, um, I couldn't find it. I don't know if the rule about staying there for 10 days was – is like a Big Ten rule, or if it's like the state of Nevada, or if it's the city of Las Vegas, or it's or whose rule it is. But yeah, basically Holtman said that um, even if they left home 
whoever tested positive, let's say, because I said a key starter, let's say it's like Zed Key. Well, let's say they leave Zed Key and like Michi Johnson in Columbus. They go out to Vegas. And again, we don't know who tests positive. That's just two examples. They leave those two guys in Columbus. They go out to Vegas and say they get to Vegas and Kyle Young tests positive in Vegas the very first day. Um, Kyle Young would have to stay in Las Vegas by himself for 10 days, which would go over Christmas almost to the new year. And Holt pretty much just said that that was a non-starter. Like once we found out that we'd have to leave a kid in Nevada for 10 days, like he's like, I'm not calling a parent and saying, we're sorry. Um, we have to leave your son in Las Vegas for the next 10 days over Christmas because he tested positive. So once he found out that was the rule, they, he pretty much said like, we, we cannot do this because I'm not risking leaving a kid in Nevada for a week and a half. Which, which Bucketheads, Land Grant, Holy Land very much supports. We are very we are pro. Let the kids celebrate Christmas. We uh, <laughs> and the not leave them in Las not, Vegas. <laughs> what stay, What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, especially across Christmas. But yeah. the war on Christmas, not not part of this podcast. We want the kids to go home and celebrate Christmas. Um, so makes sense that he wouldn't want to leave a player in Vegas for ten days. And also, um, he said like we would play with the healthy guys, but hypothetically. If they were missing like three or four players, do you don't want to play Kentucky with like missing three or four players plus not having Justice Suing or Seth Towns? Like, I don't think you really want to play Kentucky with like eight healthy bodies because they probably would have gotten beat. Um, it's you know, it's one of those things that they clearly you know they didn't dodge Kentucky. They have they they have sick players, but you look at their eight and two record, two and zero in the conference, fourteenth in the nation. Um, really, really wanted to see Ohio State play this game, but I'm also very content with them just being eight and two and not going to Kentucky and taking a big fat L with like seven healthy players. Yeah. And you know, I think another thing, and also uh, we can kind of touch on this, you know, throughout the Holman did talk about, they tried to set up some sort of a home and home with Kentucky. You can talk on, you can touch on this a little bit more. I don't know all the details, but it seemed like they just weren't able to kind of test out. Were they not able to test out of it in time or what was the case? Why did that fall through? Yeah, he was talking about it on, he does, Holtman does a, a radio show on 97.1 FM every Monday from noon to one. And he was just saying that after it was canceled, he was talking to, to John Calipari about if they could reschedule it as like a home and home, which Kentucky does not do home and homes. Kind no. of like Duke, like Kentucky and Duke have no interest in playing at somebody else's home floor, like outside of conference play. Basically, unless they're forced to, they do not want to play true road games. But uh, it sounds like they were serious about having Kentucky go to Columbus next season if Ohio State rescheduled it this year to go play in Rupp. But they realized pretty quickly that it was going to have to be after Christmas. And they looked at after Christmas, and then they looked at January when conference play starts for the SEC and the Big Ten officially. And they just like couldn't not they couldn't find a date where they could squeeze in a game in Lexington this season in between conference games. So it just wasn't it just isn't going to work. So they just didn't reschedule it. But that would have been that would have been phenomenal. And I love I I love Holtman's aggressiveness and just like <laughs> he's not scared to go play on the road somewhere. He's like I will always I will always be interested in going on the road to play as long as that team will come play us here, Kentucky is not usually like that, but it sounds like he was willing to do it if they could find a day. They just couldn't find a day. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see. 
I really hope they get the New Orleans game in because it could be a good kind of barometer on how this really affected them on the court. Um, it, it might not affect them at all, to be honest. Maybe it's a good little rest they need. You know, it's been a brutal month for them in terms of teams they played, and um, maybe it'll end up being good for them to get some time off. You know, like like we said, not the whole the whole team wasn't sick. You know, at most those three or four guys. So. You know, maybe it'll be good for them. Maybe it'll, you know, the three or four guys might be a little bit behind. They might need to get their conditioning up a little bit. If we see a key starter whose minutes dip against New Orleans very drastically, maybe that could be a sign of who it was. I don't know. That's just speculation, of course. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting. I hope they get the game against New Orleans in, though, because I don't want their first game back uh, after this whole situation to be a conference game, which is obviously they only have one game left before conference play. So, We'll see. Um, we've talked about their start to conference play isn't as brutal as it could be, so that's good. It's no Northwestern, that's for sure. So, um, you know, they have some time to kind of figure it out, but it, it definitely will – it definitely affect them in some way. It just depends on, you know, if it affects them in a negative way. Maybe it's a, maybe it ends up being a positive. Who knows? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned that, like, they're going to get back on the court and just not know what they're doing. If you watched Michigan last year, they had this a similar thing. I think they were they missed four games, so they were actually out of commission for like closer to three weeks straight, and they came back and immediately started winning games. They well, well uh, Baylor you know, they, also went on went on Baylor went on a COVID break, and they came out of it. That's true. And they, they went the on absolute fire and won the national championships. So yeah, <laughs> no predictions I mean, here, but I'm just saying. Right, you worry a little bit about the conditioning, like guys, you know. Guys running up and down the floor, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not too crazy concerned about them coming back and just looking terrible, though, because, like you said, you know, their first couple games back, they should win. They have, you know, New Orleans, who is a Ken Palm's, I think, three oh, they're number three oh four in Ken Palm. So, like, Ohio State could probably take like three months off and then come back and play New Orleans, and like you should expect them to win that game still, just because they're good. Like, they're just way better than them. And then I think you open the the Big Ten conference play. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think they open up at Nebraska, which even if it's a road game, they probably should still win that. And then I think home against Northwestern, maybe An- another game that they definitely should be favored to win. So they're going to be, they're not going to get too many crazy tests right off the bat. When they come back, they should be able to probably win those first three games, even if they're a little rusty. What I'm con- what I'd be more concerned about is just that they looked really good on defense. They were really, they were all really in sync and playing really good defense before this happened, like the last game was Wisconsin, and you just hope that when they get back on the floor, they're able to play with that same intensity on defense and not fall back into some of the same mistakes they were making earlier on in the season. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, um, it like you said, I, I wouldn't be worried about any type of like them just forgetting how to play basketball or anything like that. I think their biggest thing would be, just the conditioning, just simply being at con- – because even in the Big Ten, no matter who you're playing, you're playing some athletes, you know. So I think as long as they need, as long as their conditioning's up to par, I have zero concern. Um, but they would have to get that conditioning up to, to where it needs to be. And Justice Suing and Seth Towns are still out right now. So I don't really know if you would take this as a positive or not, but, like, they're not missing any action right now. They're on the same – level as everybody else right now you know those guys are still working back in a rehab i read somewhere i don't remember if it was jardy or if it was somewhere else um i don't want to say it was jardy for sure in case it's not correct it may have also been 
like Goodman or somebody that said that if Ohio State was able to play against Kentucky or UT Martin, that Towns and Suing might have played in those games. So I don't know if that means like that those are confirmed two guys who weren't sick or if it confirms that they're really close to coming back. But I'm pretty sure I read that if they would have had the bodies to play either of those games, if it came down to like, you know, hey, Seth and Justice, they would, if they can play, if they're healthy enough, then we have enough bodies. It's, so it sounds like they have to be pretty close to coming back if that, if that was even on the table. Sorry, I was muted. Um, they kept it pretty close to the vest in general on, on where those guys are and, and their health and, and whatnot. So we'll see. I've always just said I think they're just waiting till conference play to really get a good gauge on where they are because they don't need them until then. Um, but we'll, we'll see. It's it's tough to even gauge at this point just because they've, you know, they've been – I mean, if Holman says a couple more weeks one more time, we're going to be out of weeks. So, um, you know, that's kind of his go-to for those two. At least suing for sure. Yeah, again, he said a couple weeks. Like every time they ask, he says, oh, a couple weeks. He's probably still – he says weeks away. Well, I mean, that could make you know, a week and a half. It could mean three weeks. It could mean six weeks. Who even knows? But the fact that they mentioned that – um, you know, if those if if those guys playing would have meant enough bodies, they both could have played. That that makes me think that they have to be getting pretty close coming back. But that's just one thing to think about is that those guys are continuing to heal and get better and trying to get back into conditioning to to playing basketball, and they're not missing any action with the team right now. They're all on the same page, and those guys are rehabbing, and maybe that'll be good for those guys to not really you know be doing a whole lot to continue to to um heal and, and get better before they play again in a week. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the big 10 has been just kind of interesting in general. I think we all thought kind of, it was produced to lose and then they lost. Um, so, you know, right now the only four ranked teams are Purdue, Michigan state, Ohio state, and Wisconsin, Michigan state's been a little bit of a surprise. I think to a lot of people, um, they haven't had the normal, non-conference gauntlet of a schedule. It hasn't been easy, but it hasn't been what they normally play. So I think there's still a little bit of a question mark. I do think Purdue is still the team to beat. I wouldn't put one bad week past them. Uh, but, you know, I think I think the Big Ten's open for grabs. I think Ohio State is one of those teams that is up there to grab it. And I think that, you know, maybe a, maybe a little pause in December, maybe a little two and a half weeks off, right? That's what it ended up being, right? Yeah, two and a half weeks off, no. I don't know. Two weeks off. Uh, maybe it won't. It might not be the worst thing in the world. It'll be two weeks off, exact, almost exactly. No, it'll be two and a half. I still think it's Purdue. I still think Purdue wins the Big Ten, and I don't think it's. I mean, maybe in the standings it'll be a little close, but like I still think that Purdue is far and away the best team in the Big Ten. I do too. Um, I, I don't. I still. I still can't find a weakness on Purdue's team. Yeah, I mean they lost to Rutgers, but like that's that's an outlier. Yeah, Ron Harper. If they played 30 ten times, 10. I think. If they play ten times, I think that Rock, I think that Purdue wins probably seven or eight of them. You know, the better team does not always win in any sport. So just because Purdue, I mean, just because Rutgers was the better team that night, it doesn't not mean they're a better team. Not even close. Um, I, I think the bit it's this is maybe the worst Big Ten that I've seen in a while. It could be one of those years where they only get like maybe they only get I don't know maybe they only get like eight or nine teams into the tournament, and then those teams other than Purdue. 
Uh, maybe they're all ranked, you know, seated somewhere between like three and 11 and they win some games versus last year when they expected the Big Ten to win a bunch of games and they didn't. Maybe this year it flies under the radar a little bit and they win some games because Michigan State, I'm not sold on Michigan State. Um, they, they, Their big non-conference wins were Louisville and Marquette and Louisville is unranked. They're like 53 in Ken Palm and Marquette is also unranked and they're like 83 in Ken Palm right behind murray state and santa clara so they've won pretty much everything that's been put in front of them except they played duke i think in the very first on the very first night and lost but you know they've won a bunch of games they're like eight and two or something like that nine and two but they haven't played anybody that good other than louisville and louisville's not even that good they're yeah. ten and two yeah the the team i'm keeping an eye on is michigan because uh, i still think michigan's a really good team I think they have hit some obvious roadblocks, and I think they are kind of going through a little bit of a uh, just maybe trying to figure out exactly who guys are and where they want guys to be and, and, and kind of stuff like that. Just maybe some rotational issues. Um, still on paper, they're one of the best teams in the conference. On paper, they're one of the best teams in the country, honestly. They're 7-4, though. Um, the Seton Hall loss was huge, I think. Because it was a game they should have won. It was a game they had a lead late and they blew it. Uh, Arizona, you know, they lost by eighteen to Arizona, but Arizona is a top ten team in the country right now. So, you know that 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 game is looking to be a little bit of a better loss. Still by eighteen is bad. The loss, the the war, the problem is they lost North Carolina by twenty, who just got shellacked by Kentucky. So. Uh, North Carolina's not that good this year. They got killed, and then they also lost to Minnesota by 10. And I watched that game. Michigan looked horrendous. So they haven't looked good yet this season, but I still think there's enough pieces there to where they can be very good. They just have to figure out a way to put it together. Um, So they're the team that I'm kind of going to watch through, like, kind of January to early February and see how the start of their their Big Ten days go and see, you know, if they can figure it out. Because, I mean, they're, they're, they're literally a team I could see jumping all the way up to, like, a three or four seed in the tournament. Or if they don't figure it out, they could miss the tournament. So it's they're kind of in a weird spot to me. The problem with Michigan is, I mean, I mean if you've watched them, they, they don't have any outside shooting. They really don't. Um, they, have all this, they have all this talent on the roster. They have all these really good pieces, and the pieces don't fit together to make one coat, like one – one I don't like a puzzle I don't know the pieces don't fit together you know they don't have any shooters on that team the best player is Hunter Dickinson who is a stud but when teams know that you don't have any reliable shooters they can afford to collapse in and just maul Hunter Dickinson because they know that if they kick it out to Caleb Houston or Eli Brooks or Terrence Williams that they're probably not going to hit their shots and you saw Penn State do that to Ohio State against EJ Liddell, which you probably were just about to say that. Um, they did that against EJ Liddell. They just absolutely mauled EJ Liddell. Like, you're not scoring. Let any of your teammates score. Well, then he kicks it out to Jamari Wheeler or Justin Arns or any of these guys that can shoot, and they make them pay. And then teams are like, crap, okay, we can't send three guys to Liddell. With Michigan, you can send three guys to, 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 to Dickinson because literally nobody on that team can shoot from outside right now. And that just throws that just messes up your whole game plan when your best player is taken out of the game, and your only option is to do something that you're just not good at. 
So they have a lot of talent on that team. Might be the most talented team in the Big Ten. Um, Purdue, probably a little more talented. But Michigan, on paper, should be really good. But they cannot shoot. And Devontae Jones, their transfer, their Sun Belt transfer, Devontae Jones, has been atrocious. He's been better the last couple games against like bad competition. But for the most part, he's been atrocious. Um, no point guard, no outside shooting is an equation for a very bad basketball team. Well, and that's the interesting topic that we've kind of talked about is you have Devontae Jones and you have Cedric Russell, right? Two of the better players in Sunbelt last year, both transferred to similar programs, utilized in unbelievably different roles, right? Devontae Jones played like 37 minutes his first game. They threw him in. He was a starter. Go. Cedric Russell, we're watching him. I mean, he just played his biggest amount of games or his most amount of minutes he's played this year is 20. You know, they they have training wheeled baby stepped him in. Right now, the Ohio State approach is looking a little better. Now, granted, Ohio State's deeper than Michigan. Michigan kind of had to throw Devontae Jones into that and say, okay, go. We kind of need you right now. Um, and I think that's where Ohio State – we've talked about Ohio State's depth the entire year of it, it being its strength, and it's just going to continue to talk about it because it's just true. Um, but it's interesting to see how both programs have taken – essentially two similar players from two similar situations, put them in two similar situations separately of that and seeing how they utilize them. And, and right now it's obviously looking like the Cedric Russell approach was much better. Yeah. I mean, Cedric Russell should be playing more, I think. And Devonte Jones should be playing less. Um, you know, he just, I've watched a decent amount of Michigan. I don't watch every single Michigan game. I have no reason to watch every single Michigan game, but he was just absolutely brutal. He was brutal for the first couple weeks of the season, but every single game he's still playing 30 plus minutes. So I don't know if it's like Juwan Howard's like, you know, he's our only option. He's not their only option. They have a couple other young guards they could throw out there and see what they can do, but he's been better lately. But you know, in the Sun Belt, he's a really he was a really really good player. He took a lot of shots and hit him at a high clip. Same as Cedric Russell, they weren't volume guys. They took a lot of shots, but they converted at a high rate. Um, they they just they're probably dealing with some of the same problems of adjusting to game speed and not getting some of the same shots that they get you know that they got in the Sun Belt in the Big Ten. The difference is Cedric Russell realized that in practice and early on and is now easing into the season now that he knows that Devonte jones was thrown right into the fire and he kind of it looked like he's kind of learning that in action like ah shit like i'm not good these shots that i i knocked down last year at coastal carolina i'm not going to get those good looks in the big 10 um and he learned that in game action versus cedric russell got slowly brought into it and now he's more selective with his shots and you could argue that maybe for ohio state they kind of threw malachi branham into the fire because he was playing high minutes early and he was struggling a little bit and now they've kind of dipped his minutes down to give cedric russell a little more minutes and they're kind of like they're kind of easing malachi branham back into it so it's it's always fun to see how teams use take talent and use it and really try to piece it together. And for Ohio State, it's interesting because, like I said, they got 12 guys who can play. Um, so how do you get everybody minutes? How do you utilize? And that's why I always see people, you know, we, we talked about this on the last podcast, people are like, Russell needs to play more. Russell needs to play more. And it's like, I mean, he does. And he does. I'm not disagreeing with that. But his 20 minutes against Wisconsin, 
he's probably not going to see more than 20 to 23 minutes a game. I mean, he's not going to see 35 minutes a game. He's just not. The only guys who are going to see 35 minutes a game for Ohio State is Jamar Wheeler. Uh, maybe EJ Liddell. Liddell will probably see 30, 35. But all these guards, the Michis, the Malachis, the Cedric Russells, they're all going to see this 15 to 25 range in that in that area. And then it's going to be interesting when Suing and Towns come back because those are guys you need to have in the roster in the rotation pretty much right away. So where do those minutes go? I know you've even done an article about it, and we talked about it. So um, it'll be interesting. It, it's it, I think when you look at this Ohio State team, you can't really look at the the minutes played to see kind of who is valued the most just because there's so many guys that can play. I mean, I can argue Jimmy Soto's can, can play on this team, but because there's so many people, he, there's just no room for him. You know what I mean? It's not that he's he can't play in the Big Ten. He's not good enough. He's given the Ohio State some valuable minutes, but at times. And he struggled at times. That's kind of where – that's why he's not in the rotation now because he's been a little too inconsistent. Yeah, and it'll be it, – uh, fans should feel pretty safe and secure with this roster too because like – but well, that's the roster you, you need when you're going into, when, like, Martin and stuff. Yeah, when you compare Ohio State to other teams in the Big Ten, if you want to use Michigan, for for example, not to pile onto them, you know, yeah. they, could, they could probably beat Ohio State, you know, with the talent they have. they got to figure their shit out, though. But, for example, if you get deep into Big Ten play and we have more injuries and it gets to a point where, in a crucial part of the game, Jimmy Sotos has to run point, Ohio State fans can sit back and, and know that, you know, Jimmy Sotos is a good player and he's probably not going to do anything in that game to mess it up and lose the game. He may not be as explosive as some of the other guards, but like he's a good player who is going to get, who would get a lot of minutes at other Big Ten schools. You know, he is very, very dependable and you should not be concerned about Jimmy Sotos coming in for crucial minutes. If Michigan had to put Zeb Jackson or, um, Who's their their young guard? Um, his name is escaping me. They have a, a freshman point guard who just won. Um, Musa Dubita. Freshman? No, no, no. A, a guard. He, he just won oh. freshman of the week this last week. But I'll think of his name in a minute. If Michigan has to rely on their young point guard or like Zeb Jackson for crucial minutes down the stretch, they're not going to feel probably super secure about their chances to win versus when you put in fifth year senior Jimmy Sotos, who's already shown that he can contribute at a high level and do some really good stuff. Um, Ohio State fans, there's not going to be much to panic about if they lose a guy here or there because they've got a lot of really good players on the bench that a lot of teams don't have. Well, the, the best example of that, and we can get off this topic here next just because I mean, we're kind of we're a little bit beating of a dead horse, but the best example of that is the Seat Hall game. Right, you had the Seat Hall game essentially was won by Jimmy Soto's coming in and playing great minutes because Jamari Wheeler was in foul trouble. And you had Michi Johnson hit a game-winning three-pointer while Justin Arns had 17 points. And I'm not negating E.J. Liddell having 28-6, obviously. But E.J. Liddell, at this point, he's giving you 20-6 a lot. But you have, you know, Jimmy Soto's played 20 minutes in that game. He played some seriously valuable minutes on offense and defense in that game. Michi Johnson played the third most minutes on the entire team that game. If you said that now, you'd be like, well, that's crazy. That was just a month ago. You know, so... It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy how deep this team actually is. You know, Adam Jardy mentioned it when he was on the podcast. It's the deepest team in college basketball, and I don't particularly think it's close. Um, you know, like I said, in a game where you were at a neutral site against a ranked team and really needed a win because you were coming off a bad Xavier loss, 
two guys who right now, one, their minutes have dipped, and the second guy doesn't even play right now, gave you the biggest spark. So it's like, you know, you can get that kind of depth anywhere. On this uh, team. The guy, at, yeah, exactly. I mean, Seton Hall game is we're going to keep referencing that back. But yeah, I mean, he's a huge reason that won that game, and he's a really good player, and he hasn't had a ton of opportunities to prove himself yet. He got injured at the beginning of Big Ten play last season. But that really, that really hurt him, too, because that was, if, if I'm not mistaken, right around the time C.J. Walker got hurt. So he would have no, been he able to... Playing, he was playing because C.J. Walker was hurt. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was right after. So he would have had a really good opportunity there. And then he got hurt making a hustle so play, gets, which always sucks. So then he gets hurt and loses his whole, the whole rest of his season. This season, he's fighting and clawing to even be in the top ten of the rotation. So... He hasn't had a ton of chance to even prove himself to fans, but like he's a very reliable player who he's probably not going to go crazy and score 20 points for you and be the reason he won the game, but he's probably not going to do anything either that's going to cause you to lose the game. He'll be pretty reliable, um, but the, the, the Michigan guy that I was thinking of is uh, Kobe Bufkin. He won freshman oh, of the week, right, and yeah. that's kind of what I was saying, is if it's Kobe Bufkin or like, um, Frankie Collins had to run in and run point guard in a crucial game where Michigan is down two against Purdue. Michigan fans are probably going to say, we're going to lose this game. But if Jimmy Sotos is in running point against, say, Purdue down two late in the game, you're like, you know, I don't feel like I have that much of a worse chance to win this game versus if Jamari Wheeler was in this game. Like, we still have a chance to win this game because Jimmy Sotos isn't going to do much. It's going to hurt you. He's not going to ruin the game for you. No, and it's just like, I mean, against Duke, Ohio State, down by six against the number one team in the country, they had a guy in who, before that game, had played like eight combined minutes in Cedric Russell, and he was the best, He was the biggest player of the game for them. You know, so it's just, like I said, they can just swip, swip and swap and rotate. Swip is not a word. Switch and swap, um, you know, players out of this rotation and, and really have some fun with it, so. It, it, it'll make it'll, it'll make Big Ten play a lot easier. Let me tell you something there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We did promise some Spider-Man talk. We, we can swift swap over to, uh, to Spider-Man for like five-ish minutes, maybe five, ten minutes. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen this movie yet, turn this off. Stop listening because we're probably going to ruin a bunch of shit for you. Um, I saw weird. it last I, – I saw it the second night that it came out. And honestly, so many people that I know haven't seen it yet that it sucks that I can't talk to people about it. Um, it was fantastic. The moment, the moment for me is like when they draw the little portal up and – 
Andrew Garfield Spider-Man steps through and takes the mask off, like the whole theater cheered. And the fact that they were able to get him and Tobey Maguire back on board for this movie to get all three of those guys together, plus the old, the same actors that played the old villains, the fact they were able to get all those people back together just like blows my mind. I was so excited that they were able to do that. Yeah, big fan of like Andrew Garfield Spider-Man coming out very clearly like Spider-Manning and coming off the streets and then Tobey Maguire coming out very clearly like retired looking and like, like they said in the movie, looking like a youth pastor. Like looks like he's on his you know last leg of Spider Man because he is. I mean, Tobey Maguire in real life is forty seven years old. So yeah, yeah, he's almost freaking fifty years old. Um, it was just like there was very little that I asked, that I could ask for beyond that. Like the they like they, those guys pop up like halfway through the movie and like just like the one liners and like those three guys like working together and talking to each other and like borderline like breaking the fourth wall like when. Tom Holland's Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man says, you know, I, I was in the Avengers. And then um, Tom, and then uh, Tobey Maguire goes, that's great. And then Andrew Carfield's like, what is that? Is, is that a band? Like acknowledging that like they're not from the same background, that those guys are like the Sony Spider-Men. So there was never any kind of Avengers in their movies. Like the banter between those three was just, oh my God, it was so good. Yeah. And then, you know, even like, uh, two of my favorite, I guess, dialogue moments were when they're on the rooftop is a really, really awesome scene of just like emotion where you have like Garfield talking about losing, you know, Gwen Stacy and talking about how like, you know, he got vengeful and he will start pulling his punches, which is like a very relatable, you know, the whole thing about Spider-Man is it's like a relatable hero kind of because it's just a normal, like it's just a teenager underneath the mask. Um and that's a very relatable thing. You know, when you lose somebody, you get vengeful if they get, you know, if they get murdered. Um, so I think that's, and then Toby also kind of talking about, you know, his, you know, he's been doing it for, you know, in that world, 20 years, you know, and the kind of stuff he's gone through. And then it was also fun seeing all the villains, like in those little, like Dr. Strange dungeons talking about like mm-hmm. what each villain did. When Electro was talking to Lizard, saying like, "Yeah, it was crazy trying to make the whole city lizards," and then, you know, they're talking about like, "Yeah, you know, Doc Ock." When uh, Sandman's talking about, you "No, know, you know, Goblin died," and then a couple years later, Doc Ock died. It's it's funny like seeing all of those moments that you saw on screen through different villains' eyes. You know, that was that was really cool to see too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was it was so good, and to have like to bring. William Defoe back to play the same character he did 20 years ago and they did not age him back like he's just old in this movie and then they also get Alfred Molina to play Doc Ock which they like digitally aged him back to look a little bit younger to look closer to what he was but same actors same it's still Alfred Molina it was still William Defoe um whoever plays Sandman like that was the same actor as well I could have done probably without Jamie Foxx as Electro like I just think that Jamie Foxx somehow like gets into every single movie, but he was fine too. I was mostly excited for Doc Ock and, and Green Goblin because same actors playing the same role. And honestly, like William Defoe could probably win an award for this movie. Like the fact that he, <laughs> after twenty years, plays the same character that he played twenty years ago, and to do it so well, like some of yeah. these scenes were like he just plays like the maniacal crazy ass villain so well the scene where like they're in the hallway and you know uh, peter parker is just beating the snot out of him in the hallway and then 
he just stares at him and just is like cackling in between getting punched in the face. Like what a scene. He he was crazy good. Yeah, I think one of the better scenes too was also at the end where they're on that little kind of I guess it's Captain America's shield in in the in the water and you know he's he's uh, Goblin is still kind of teasing Holland Spider-Man's calling him weak and he's like no I just want to kill you myself and you can see him kind of smile cuz he knows like that's all he wants to do is to change him you know to, to to make him that killer kind of that Spider-Man isn't and then Toby stopping him from killing him was like kind of a that was a really cool moment too of just like also I love like him like Toby looking at him like in the eye not really showing much like effort was like you're not getting past me is basically what he was saying so it was nice to see like that moment and stuff and and even even after he stabs you know goblin stabs Toby Spider-Man Holland still doesn't kill him they still cure him you know which was very I thought that was that was very on brand which was nice to see yeah Toby Maguire was like the responsible dad Spider-Man Andrew Garfield was like the fun uncle Spider-Man and then uh, Tom Holland was his like young, youthful, uh, very impressionable Spider-Man that he's been in this whole series. It's just the three of them together was um, so fun. So many like so many little one-liners, funny one-liners that make the Marvel movies funny. Like they're intense action movies that get interrupted by really wacky humor. There's a moment um, right before the big fight scene you're talking about. Um, where, excuse me, they're talking about amongst themselves about their web shooters. And basically that's when Andrew Garfield and, and Tom Holland's Spider-Man learned that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire can just shoot them out of his wrists. Yeah. And the other two were, the other two were like, oh, you know, what the hell? Like I have to make these in a lab and manual do it, you know, myself. And Tobey Maguire's like, yeah, that sounds like it would be a hassle. And then you see uh, Peter Parker Tom Holland, Peter Parker, sit there as like a 17-year-old would and like the wheels are turning and he goes, do, do they come out of anywhere else? Do web shoot out of anywhere else in your body? Like obviously referring to one specific body part and then Tobey Maguire's like, no. So just like the banter between them, the humor is just hilarious. Like the whole movie theater just cracking up. Yeah, that chemistry was super sick. They did, there was something that seemed very natural that it was just it, it never seemed forced or anything like that and then like you said the little like if you did watch some of the movies beforehand or you remember them little callbacks were fun you like them talking about their back issues you know because both of them have back issues and like spider-man 2 because he gets his ass whooped and he talks about like his his back and then um in spider-man in uh the goblins you know at one point uh as Norman Osborn, he says, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself. That's directly pulled <laughs> yeah. from Spider-Man 1. You know, yeah. so it's just, you know, that's just a fun little, those are just fun little things, you know, that like, if you didn't see the movies, great. It, you know, just went over your head, whatever. But if you did, you probably laughed. You're like, ah, you know, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the screen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They did the um, Twitter gif of all the Spider-Man pointing at each other, which was fun. Um, Very self-aware well, movie, which which I like. I like self-aware yeah. movies. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were like, like I said, they're like borderline breaking down the fourth wall, like acknowledging, like they're acknowledging the whole Sony Marvel divide there several times. Andrew yeah. Garfield, like, what's fun is like Andrew Garfield gets crapped on a lot, and he did when his Spider-Man movies came out because they're bad movies. They're like they are the the worst set of Spider-Man movies, and that's like not even really up for a debate anymore. But like, he's a really good actor, and. 
he really got shot down. Like he really, people really crapped all over those movies. And like, this was kind of like his like redemption. I would say like him and William Defoe in this movie were probably the best all around um, people in this movie, the way they played their roles. Like Garfield was so, he was so, so, so good. And now they're talking about, he might get, he might've just earned himself his own, like couple Marvel movies as Spider-Man, but in his own universe, the scene where he catches, um, he catches MJ falling from the yeah. the um, Statue of Liberty and catches her, and he's like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay?" And he starts like getting all emotional because if you've watched the Amazing Spider-Man movies, like that's how Gwen Stacy dies, and he did not, he didn't, he couldn't catch her, and that's how he loses her. So he catches her, and he gets all like teary-eyed, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." And so I was listening to a review, a podcast, and they basically said he he was able to capture eight years of grief into a five second scene which is a great description like he was so good in this movie and just showed people like he's so talented yeah and i'm a big andrew garfield fan um i thought tick tick boom was excellent this year Uh, everything he puts out i really enjoy and i was i know he's always really loved playing spider-man and i think he's never really said it but i think he always did want a little bit of redemption because those movies don't suck because of him he's fine i think he's right he's a really good spider-man he's got the quips stuff down He's a little too pretty to be Peter Parker. Um, yeah. But, you know, definitely. that's not his fault. You know, sorry for being pretty. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, and also when he was cast, he was 28. You know, it's just a little old to be playing. To, to be know. playing a high schooler, yeah. Yeah, same with Toby. I mean, Toby was 27, I think, for the first Spider-Man. So they kind of did that a couple times. But it was cool to see, like you said, you know, to get see him get that kind of redemption. because, And that was one of those things, like, they showed MJ falling in the trailer, like, the first thing I thought was, oh, Tom's not going to catch her, but Andrew Garfield will, you know? So, like, I kind of knew that something like that was going to happen, but it still didn't take away from the moment because of how well it was acted and, and portrayed. And they, even though, like, it was rumored that those two guys would be in the movie, they did such a great job of covering of, of covering it up so that, at least I didn't, and pretty much everybody that I knew, nobody knew that they for sure were going to be in the movie until you saw the movie like those two guys those two guys were not at any of like the red carpet premiere stuff there were no like leaked photos of them at the the movie set and you know when it's a rumor like that everybody's trying to find out and confirm it and they were able to cover it up the whole time if it was like are they actually in the movie i think one of them it might have been garfield like just straight up said no like i'm not in the movie i'm not part of that whole thing um they kept it where was it toby mcguire one of them just straight up denied it well, yeah, well, Garfield kind of got screwed because Tick, Tick, Boom just came out a month ago. And to this movie, it only came out like two weeks before it. So he was on a press tour for Tick, Tick, Boom trying to, you know, pr- you know, promote this movie. But every single place he went was just asking about Spider-Man. So he mm-hmm. very, very publicly and a lot of times said, no, I'm not in the movie. No, I'm not in the movie. And there was a small part of me that didn't want him to be in the movie. Just so we could middle finger everybody and be like, told you. But um, it was cool that he was in the movie. But that kind of would have been funny if he actually wasn't in it. So he could just been like, what? I, I, I literally I told you it wasn't in the movie. But yeah, I mean, he had to yeah. lie. He had to lie. And I'm glad he did lie because it made it better. But, you know, he had to lie a lot. Toby McGuire could just kind of lay low. He wasn't promoting anything. You know, nobody was, was hounding him. But Andrew Garfield was literally on a press tour for another movie. So every single outlet was still asking him about Spider Man. Yeah, they did such a good job, like, 
everybody knew that it was possible, but nobody knew it was for sure. And so at the moment that they jump into the movie, everybody just like freaked out. That was so cool. I, that's the first time I've ever experienced something like that in a movie theater where like everybody is waiting. And then when something happens, like everybody in the movie theater just starts cheering together in the middle of a movie. It was super cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, ex- the end game and ex- infinity war experience was similar. Um, but it was, it's definitely really cool when you get, when you have that kind of like atmosphere in the theater, something that I think we all kind of missed over the past year and a half to two years. Why I'm glad a lot of these movies got pushed back instead of just released on streaming. You don't get that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're, we're about out of time here. That was fun. We hadn't really talked much about anything other than basketball at all in any episode. Um, and I don't expect that we'll be spending any time talking about movies again, unless we're sitting here next week in the same position. If Ohio State continues to push out this, um, you know, their pause with, with, with the COVID cases they have. So that's all we'll talk about that for today. <laughs> If you're finding us on the website, make sure you also subscribe wherever you find your music and podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, um, whatever you use, make sure to also subscribe. Yeah, little does Connor know we are actually turning this into a movie review podcast. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but make sure to leave a review if you're enjoying it or not enjoying it or somewhere in between, honestly. But if you're not enjoying it or somewhere in between, don't leave a review. We don't like that. We're very egotistical and we like to hear good things. That feedback only makes our bosses happy and helps us know we're doing better. Anyway... If you want you. to, yeah, if you want to follow along on Twitter, you can follow us at BucketheadsLGHL. You can follow me at Lamonds underscore Connor, and you can follow the website at LandGrant33. And Justin, what about you? I will not be giving out my Twitter. Due to, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, my Twitter is at Justin underscore Golba. Uh, I always like to talk everything, so give me a follow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great Christmas, and go Bucks.